0: everyone, and welcome back to The Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of cinematropolis.com. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and after 10 days or so of watching a number of wonderful films at the Dead Center 2020 Film Festival, I am here with the Cinematropolis crew to wind down our festival coverage uh, on the final day of the festival. So that is uh, Sunday, June 21st, and we're going to be talking about just some of our favorite films from the festival as well as... Our overall experience with uh, attending this virtual experience, uh, as you've noted in several of the interviews on the Sun website, uh, a big shift in experience, um, shifting from an in-person festival to a purely virtual experience. Uh, But uh, enough of the housekeeping there. Let's go ahead and get to some introductions here. So uh, first up, uh, very excited to be rejoined by Christopher Schultz. Christopher, welcome back.
1: Hi, thank you. Good to be
0: back. Uh, We're also, of course, joined by Joe Light. Joe, welcome. Hi. And uh, closing out the group today is uh, our very own Daniel Bokemper. Daniel, welcome back to the Cinematic Schematic. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, everybody. So, uh, man, what a, like I'd say, week and a half it's been. Um, I I just want to, let's just kick things off by talking a little bit about the festival experience overall. Uh, Daniel, how would you say your experience at Dead Center this year was?
2: Way better than I thought it would Uh, be, given the circumstances, of course, you know, it sounds like it not i don't want to say thrown together but it sounds like the festival didn't necessarily or the committee didn't have a lot of time to ensure that everything was going to work properly yet they they did i actually feel like you know despite it being remote um given the pandemic it was still it still worked really well um the interface was was very welcome plenty of information about the film uh and again you don't have to like Stand outside in uh, ninety degree <laughs> weather <laughs> waiting to to get into a film, which is nice. I mean it you know the social experience of it is is an important one of a film festival, and while there were you know opportunities to do that, um you know it still wasn't quite the same as you know what, what it would be under normal circumstances, but but overall, I think the committee did an excellent job in putting on the festival, and as far as just a, a you know viewer experience, it, it still seemed to uh, go seamlessly.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that. And uh, for listeners who who may didn't catch some of our our interviews, I spoke with um, Lance McDaniel earlier this week, and you can find that uh, interview linked in the show notes. But yeah, Daniel, talking about that timeline, it sounds like they didn't really make a a clear decision until South by Southwest canceled. So that was that was early to mid-March. So you're looking at about in three months, they had to shift, uh, you know, something they basically planned for an entire, almost an entire year. So for nine months, they had to shift to a remote only. Um, And I think just given all of that entails, I think that's pretty impressive overall. Uh, Now, I mean, I think the question being whether or not it worked, it sounds like it worked for you. Uh, Joe Light, how was your uh, virtual dead center experience this year?
3: Yeah, I think I'm just going to echo what Daniel said. Um, I think it went really smoothly. I was really impressed with how they pulled it off. The site worked really well for me consistently throughout the whole fest. Um, I did attend one of the outdoor screenings. I know they had a couple of them. I went to the shifter screening and that was also really safe. I felt fine about being in the parking lot across from tower. Uh, and it was just kind of a way to keep that festival experience going in a safe way, uh, but yeah, overall, I was just really, really impressed, and I commend all of them for doing that hard work so quickly. I didn't realize that timeline was that compressed.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it, so I guess based based on my conversation with Lance, it sounds like they had been kind of dabbling, and Steven Tyler mentioned this too, they had been exploring the types of technology they would have to jump on pretty quickly before making the, like the decision. I guess um, Alex Picard had been in touch with some folks from the Seattle Film Festival uh, who had also been kind of utilizing that technology to a certain, certain extent. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think, uh, again, just kudos to the, the festival for pulling that off, but, um, uh, Christopher, what about your, uh, your experience? Would you say it was pretty positive overall?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, was really impressed with what they were able to, to pull off in such a short amount of time. Um, and you know, I'm, I, am I'm a big introvert. So, um, you know, I, even when I, uh, even when I enjoy uh, going out to the theater or, you know, seeing people that I know, um, you know, I get to a burnout point. Um, so, <laughs> so it's all, it's, all, it's often nice for, uh, to, to just, you know, watch something in the comfort of my own home and uh, everything works smoothly. I, I, never, I didn't have any technical problems. Um, it, it was great. Um, I'd love to see more.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think this opens up the opportunity. I mean, just seeing how they executed this, you know, especially in something that only occurred three months, and um, I know both Stephen Tyler and uh, Lance had talked about, hey, now that we've done this, we, we've got we're gonna, you know, it, there's a lot of possibilities for the future that might not have been possible in the past, right? Like, uh, I know Lance talked about how they had some of these virtual table reads with like celebrities, you know, more than like 20 celebrities joining in, and he's like, there's no way we could ever afford it have brought these people to Oklahoma or flown them out here and put them up in a hotel, all of them, you know, for like one table read, but he's like through the, the internet it makes things that were impossible previously. Very, very easy to do. Um, so that's, that's super cool. My experience I think echoes everyone else. Um, you know, maybe it's because I'm, I've not, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very pro watching movies on laptops. It's not something I do all the time, but like when push comes to shove, I've, I've watched enough movies on my laptop that it wasn't really weird. Um, and I also know I'm privileged to have like a, like a, an Apple TV that I can screen share with. So there, there was a few movies I also watched on my TV via my laptop. So I know kind of that shift from that, the television to, um, maybe a laptop might've been a little different, but I would say at least from the tech perspective, there was not a single thing that I, like, there wasn't a single time I clicked something that didn't work like it was supposed to. Like the movies always loaded up. Uh, I always signed up. Um, if I wanted to do the Q and a afterwards, or if it was a Schwartz block, it would automatically roll over to the next thing. So, um, at least just from like, again, the execution standpoint and the rollout, it seemed like it was pretty effective. There was, uh, some really great bonus content that I want to talk about that they included, um, following many, many of the films. Uh, but I do want to just talk, go, you know, think about that, that festival experience, Joe, you mentioned the outdoor screening. Could you tell us a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, uh, they just had it set up in the parking lot across from a local theater, a music venue here called Tower. Um, And they had chalked off like six feet squares. So there would be like empty squares and then you could set up your lawn chairs in a square that was designated. Um, And they had this big inflatable screen. Uh, I think they were just protecting from a a laptop, honestly, but it looked fine. Uh, and the sound was fine considering it was a large open space. Um, and you still got your little wristband with the drink ticket. So if you wanted to, you could go over and you could get some beer or wine or water, uh, limited options, but those still really nice. I wasn't expecting that at all. Um, yeah. And it was just, it was nice to be in the middle of the city and in the uptown district, uh, there was some traffic, but I, I honestly feel like that added a little bit to the atmosphere. Um, and it was just nice to kind of hang out in the general vicinity of a lot of people that, you know, my husband and I know and kind of waved at them from afar. Uh, I feel like everybody was very respectful. There were like a couple of close clustered groups, but I think it, the, those those people were choosing to do that. So it was fine. Um, yeah, felt very safe. Yeah. Uh, Easy, comfortable. and It was yeah, it was fun to kind of experience it together.
0: And the drink tickets feels like a very dead center thing, you know, from the parties. You go to the parties, they give you like three to three or four drink tickets, and you just take them to the counter. So that's pretty cool. That that's fun. Um, so I want to take a, a, a talk a little more about this bonus content, though. So I think all of the ver- the local films, at least as far as I can tell, of the group that I watched, and I, it seemed like there were either filmmaker Q and A's afterwards or some sort of supplementary content. So since they couldn't do those, you know, the, the Q and A's with filmmakers live in front of the audience, like they, they traditionally do, uh, basically they had Q and A's that apply afterwards. Sometimes they'd have more than one uh, Q and A that would play afterward as bonus content. And the reason I find this particularly notable is because one dead center. I mean, they create some content to promote their event, but Historically, they're not like a content creation team, a content crea- creation um, organization. So they had to, to, to pivot really fast. And uh, again, that's the number of interviews they recorded. I know, I think uh, I, I heard there was an upwards of like 10 hours, uh, at least on one of the days that I, that I was um, talking and interviewing someone with. And so to 10 hours worth of content they were generating. And I'm sure it was a, a great deal more once you can sit, you know, take the whole scope of the the festival in mind. So um so again, you, you can't really replicate quite that live audience uh, interaction as a, at a film festival. But uh, I do think it was really impressive that they basically got what I would consider more or less like one of those bonus features you get on like a Blu-ray or something, you know, like an audio, you know, filmmaker interview or, or something that plays like an extra on a, on a DVD or Blu-ray um, as part of the festival. Um, and I think some of these... Some of these were really great, really great insightful content. So, uh did any of you guys uh happen to catch any of these follow-up Q&As?
3: Yeah, uh I did actually watch the Love and Fury one and I I mean it's 40 minutes long, I think. So, I I think that I mean it's it's awesome. It's kind of to your point Caleb, like that's not something that you would see at a film festival because nobody would want to, you know, sit around and talk for that long probably. Um but it was a really great uh, interview with Sterling Harjo and uh, much longer than you would get at a festival and kind of without, I guess, the distraction almost of, you know, even though a big part of festivals is the audience Q&A, sometimes those questions aren't always the best. Can I, can I say that? <laughs> um
0: I will second that up and down every South <laughs> by Southwest I've been to. You're you're sitting in the audience. And you're like, who gave this person the mic? You get one question, and that's what you ask. That sounds kind of mean, but like I know I know exactly what you mean. Yeah,
3: sometimes the questions are more like statements about audience members' own work or lives, and that's fine. Everybody's valid, but yeah, it's just I think in this type of setting, you get more of that creative conversation if the artist is wanting to you know be there for 40 minutes like sterling was so yeah that one was really insightful that was the main one i watched i caught a little bit of the one from she's the eldest too
0: yeah i also caught the one from she's the eldest and sorry i'm not going to go in this rabbit hole too much further but just thinking about uh audience q a's weird examples um at the isle of dogs screening i think it was two years ago it was the closing film at uh south by southwest mm-hmm. and they had I was actually extremely impressed by the, like the number of cast members they had up there. They had you know, Wes Anderson. They had Bill Murray and um, uh, Jeff Goldblum. It was – you know, and like the writer was – one of the co-writers was there. And like a guy gets up there and he literally – one guy um, accidentally – I don't know if it was intentional. I'm sure it was an accident. But he said something that sounded kind of mean-spirited towards Jeff Goldblum – and then Bill Murray started making fun of him, at, which was also kind of funny. Uh, no, making fun of the guy asking the question. Um, but then the next person, it was literally like a back to back where you're just like, like, it was like, what? Ha, please don't get on the mic. Another guy used the opportunity to pitch a project to Wes Anderson in front yeah. of like thousands of people in the in theater. And I'm like, dude, I, read the room, you know. Um, Shoot your shot, buddy. That's the
2: best time to do it, clearly.
0: If <laughs> we're people at the world premiere of the new movie, yeah. Um so to have some exa- we won't go that much further than that. There's a lot of other examples we can use, but like that's an example of maybe some of the weird, uh, awkward moments you get at film festivals whenever the audience has the mic. Um, that said though joe just to to to, i think echo what you're saying there um the thing i like about these is a lot of times these q a's and or even these conversations with filmmakers are limited by the amount of time that that they have at that venue because they're trying to cram so many movies in to some of these venues like especially if they're like in the middle of the day they might only have like 10 or 15 minutes maximum Mm -hmm. to like talk about their film um versus these q a's like i'm sure that there was some sort of Studio time allotment, but it was certainly a lot more generous uh, than you would get at an average film festival to kind of get that that inside uh, interview with the, the filmmaker. And enough about that, though. Uh, Daniel, did you uh, <laughs> did you happen to catch any of these Q and A's?
2: So, I don't believe I had the. I didn't see the option to on the on the short films. It may have been an oversight on my part, but um, and I don't believe the Dilemma of Desire had one either. Um, I did not. I know Shifter did for certain. D- didn't see that one, but I would like to give a kind of a shout out to not only, you know, the Cinematropolis and and kind of forwarding shifter with the production diaries in um, that series you've um, worked with uh, Jacob and Zach Burns on, but also um, I noticed the Gazette had like actual, I've never seen this from them before. And I think it was, you know, again, acclimating uh, to the pandemic, but there was a, they did like video interviews with, I know, Lance McDaniel. Ah, uh, Jacob Burns had one, um, and it was with uh, Brittany Pickering, um, the editor editor in chief of the Gazette. And I actually thought that was a kind of a cool, again, kind of forced into doing something a bit multimedia because you know print is is a little difficult right now. But like it, it, it brought kind of a a more of a kind of local gravity to the the festival that I thought was actually kind of cool. Um, so no, I did not get the the bonus content that Dead Center themselves produce. I wish I had. It sounds like it was, you know, they put a lot of a lot of effort into to to kind of fulfilling that um, you know festival experience while also trimming down the you know the the more kind of eye rolling uh, parts of it. But but again, just to see a little bit more extra local uh, media kind of uh, built around it in in a way that you don't normally see. Uh, I thought was was really interesting and kind of helped, you know, get a little more excited for a, you know, a festival that, uh, you know, you don't you don't typically see, you know, as I, gu- I guess you don't you don't see it in that form. So it's um it's a bit different. You have to or you have to go out of your way to find those things. But to, you know, just see it kind of publicized in that way was uh, pretty cool and very insightful, too.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brittany did a good job.
0: Yeah, huge shout out to the, the Oklahoma Gazette. Um, it's showing my bias here, but <laughs> the publication. Um, so, and yeah, they they really did a great job at step, innovating and stepping up to produce a lot of very cool multimedia content. Uh, and, uh, Daniel, I just, uh, I think um, just to take that a step further, I think the thing I'd like to say is just, it's been, there's been a lot of things this pandemic, and this is a whole other podcast, but there's been a lot of things in this pandemic that we probably had the resources to do, but never really thought about how to do it or, like, took the time to do it, but because all of us, everyone's at home, have nothing but time to figure out like how to do things differently. Um, And I think we're starting to see in a lot of ways, and as the festival as a whole, I think is an example of this even, we're starting to see the ways in which we can do things differently um, that is really exciting. Uh, I'm not saying like the the pandemic's exciting, but yeah, seeing video interviews like that coming out of the Oklahoma Gazette or seeing a lot of more Facebook lives or Twitch streams around like Dead Center content, um, that's really exciting to me um, because it just kind of shows that we're, they're, we're kind of breaking down like a lot of the normal we're finding ways around the obstacles and the, and the, the way the thing that they're producing is still just as good and in some ways maybe even better um, than maybe the, the way we've always done it that said you still kind of lose that face-to-face time, or you still kind of lose that excitement of being in the same room as the filmmaker that you you respect or admire or want to know more from. So I know there's a loss there, but um, no, I, I think kudos to a number of the publications. Uh, I know I saw, I think the the Free Press OKC George Lang was doing a lot of uh, like a pretty thorough write up of. I mean, he he covered probably between <laughs> between the five uh, the the yeah the four of us. Uh, I mean, just in terms of content, he probably covered just as much stuff as a one-man band. So, um, yeah, it was really exciting to see all the local press kind of come out and step up their game and, and find new ways to to get the story out. And, uh, again, if you want to learn more about sort of behind the behind-the-scenes for that, I, I do want to point you again to the, the show notes. We have interviews with the uh, director of technology, Steven Tyler, uh, and the executive director of Dead Center, Lance McDaniel, where they kind of talk about some of the behind-the-scenes what went in the decision making, and then how they how they were able to execute on these things in, the, in that timeline, that uh, that three month timeline that we were talking about earlier. So uh, I do highly recommend you check those out. Um, also big shout out to Lance um, is this is an interesting year for dead center. So it was Lance McDaniel. Who's been running this thing for years and years. This is his last year as the executive director. And it was also the 20th anniversary of the festival. So this is just, a, I think histor- in the history of dead center, this is an especially a peculiar year. A lot of transitions happening uh, and the, the, the shift to virtual certainly being among those. Uh, but uh, let's get to the movies. Um, so there were uh, several we could talk about. We could probably talk for two hours if we kind of went through the whole catalog of things we saw. Um, but a few things I just want to want to discuss. Let's start off with She's the Eldest. We've kind of mentioned it in passing it a couple times. Uh, Joe, you did, wrote a reaction to She's the Eldest and also had an interview uh, with the director, Kate Jones, and uh, co-star Mary Buss. So Could you tell us a little bit more about She's the Eldest?
3: yeah I can try to um it's a little bit of a weird movie uh, just because you go in expecting one thing and then it becomes something uh very different uh, but it's really good it's really enjoyable it's Kate Jones's first movie that she's directed first feature um it's dark it's um well it just it's it's about these three siblings that are forced to reconnect in their childhood home and weird things start happening essentially. They are, they're very uncomfortable with each other. They're each going through their own little personal dramas but then it becomes, it really becomes kind of a, a, kind of like Lynchian horror almost by the end. Like there's all these weird dreams that happen. They're like flash sideways into dream sequences it's um, it's an interesting movie, and I think it it's a it's a brave movie to start off on, just to kind of go for it, um, in terms of weirdness. Uh, but yeah, I I think Kate was a really strong director. Uh, she definitely has a vision and knows what kind of story that she wants to tell. Um, and I was really happy to get to talk to her and Mary, and it was just a really interesting conversation. It's much longer than. What was published? We talked for probably thirty minutes just about the film scene here, but um, yeah, they're both really, really smart, really, really talented, and really happy to support support them locally.
0: Yeah, very cool. And um, I mean, both of these are folks who've been working in the Oklahoma film for for a while now. Uh, Kate Jones, long time listeners of the Cinematic Schematic, might remember that we interviewed her and Mickey Reese back for when she was starring in uh, Mickey Reese's alien. Uh, and then we actually spoke with uh, Mary bus uh, last year, year and a half ago uh, for the release of strike Dear mistress, which is another Mickey Reese film. So I, I really love seeing Kate step into the director role. I think this was a, a very, very strong first feature as well. Um, and, and just to echo your point, Joe, it's very bold and, uh, and I love, I love everything. I don't want to call them a troop necessarily. Cause I don't even know if they prefer to go by this, but like, it's so um, a lot of the, the stars of this film. So you've got, um, of course, Kate and Mary, uh, Mickey Reese, uh, Alex Sanchez, um, usually Jacob's novels in there somewhere too. Like, it's kind of like a, uh, a really tight knit group of friends who just keep making movies together. And they're all kind of growing, learning and growing. And just over the last couple of years seeing, you know, not just the stuff Mickey's putting out, but seeing how like all of them have grown and, and done some really impressive, bold stuff. Uh, I think has been pretty awesome to watch. So uh, again, I think she's the eldest. Um, from Kate, it's particularly impressive and bold first film. Did anyone else happen to catch? She's the eldest. I did. Yeah. Uh, what'd you think, Christopher?
1: um i i really i really enjoyed the interactions um especially between kate and uh and mary their their characters um i i really loved i really loved that relationship um i was uh um i i I was a little thrown when the movie sort of took a different direction um and uh it was less about Kate, Kate Mary. And I'm sorry, I don't remember their characters names, Um, but, um, but yeah, I, um, I, I, I enjoyed that part a lot.
0: Very cool. Very cool. All right. Um, Well, I think another film uh, that we want to spotlight and uh, again, uh, by the way, uh, Kate Jones, be on the lookout for more from her in the future. Um, I don't think this film has distribution yet, at least not that I'm aware of. But uh, keep your eyes open for her work. Keep your eyes out for She's the Eldest or really just anything that group of filmmakers uh, are making. I, I do think they're, they're a group to watch for. But let's move over, move along here to, uh, I think, another really big film at the festival this year, which is Shifter. So, of course, this is the film uh, written and directed uh, by uh, Jacob Burns and um, co-produced by his brother, Zachary Burns. And it is a, a time travel body horror. Uh, so this is basically their their follow up fooling feature to Electric Nostalgia back in 2016. So uh, they've done a few other small projects uh, in between Then and some short films. Uh, They did a documentary uh, a couple of years ago. So, uh, but this is kind of their their next movie that I think a lot of people who saw what they did with Electric Nostalgia were waiting to see. Uh, And uh, overall, I thought that this was a really interesting take on time travel. Uh, and, of course, um, full biases here. You know, I'm, I'm good friends with Jacob and Zach, and we've talked to, uh, with them at length on the show, and they've co-founded the website, Cinematropolis. So, all biases aside, just know that I, I enjoyed the film as a sucker of time travel. I um, enjoyed their take on it. Uh, you know, I think there's always things they could do differently or or, or whatnot, but uh, overall, I think, especially given the, the budget they're working on, I think this film turned out looking really sharp i'm pretty sure it looks like at least five times more expensive than you know what their their indiegogo was so kudos to them on that piece uh daniel uh we'll we'll start with you on this one like what did you what did you think what was your take on shifter yeah i i really
2: enjoyed it and i i want to echo that sentiment and i think there's a very i like a, a very clear indication of um you know, Jacob's growth as a, as a filmmaker. And I assume Zach had a very heavy hand in it, you know, and I, and I did like electric nostalgia, uh, quite a bit when I saw it. And that's kind of how I, I, I think I, I met, uh, Jacob and Zach and was just covering that piece initially. And it, it does have, you know, a lot of obvious signs of growth. Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's, there's opportunities to improve, but I really did like some of the, the use of imagery. I thought a, a lot of the cast, especially, um, Ashley Madanis, uh, I believe if I hope I'm pronouncing their, yeah, their last name. That's correctly. correct. Yeah. <laughs> Ashley Madanis, I, I think was a, a pretty big standout. And she has also comes up in the, uh, the short films I saw, um, one of them being directed by, by Zach Burns. She's um, great, yeah. Yeah, no, she's she's incredible and uh really, really want to see more of her. Um, but I I, th- I did think the take was very interesting and I, I I do like in a lot of films, um the the local films I saw this year, and I think maybe in just general, it's kinda of hard not to not avoid the contrast of Oklahoma between the 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 rural and urban um and how quickly it it shifts between that and I, I, I think Shifter captured that that kind of uh, atmosphere uh, pretty well, um, and and to, to do so in the 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 form of like a, a time traveling body horror film uh, was was really creative. But you know, seeing the kind of rural, dilapidated uh, homestead, and then shifting to you know <laughs> a very very industrial again urban centric setting, which again helps that that Oklahoma in part. Um, and because of our industry kind of forces that, that, that's, you know, that, that juxtaposition, I guess it, it really, um, they captured that really well. Um, there were a few instances where, um, I almost, the film is already kind of short. Um, you know, it's, I think it's like an hour, 80 minutes, maybe just under an hour and I, a half. It, I don't, be,
0: it's not, not, I don't even think it's quite 90 minutes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So just under an hour and a half. Um, so i I, I really <laughs> I don't like to say that I feel like maybe if it was just a little bit tighter, um, I, I don't know what the correct solution would be unfortunately. I'm not you know personally a filmmaker, but I, I do think if it was a bit maybe maybe tighter um, as far as some of the the dialogue and interactions were concerned, you know, just making it a little more succinct, um probably would have would have, um, helped it a bit more, but even in, in, in saying that it was still a really fun, um, experience. I, I, definitely got vibes of, of, uh, you know, Cronenberg's the fly, uh, watching it. And I, again, I do think the, the, the actual transitions they made some of that weird, like lava lamp, blood tearing esque, like little like transitions they had to kind of emulate the, the molecular destruction of, uh, um, I believe it was, uh, Teresa played by, uh, Nicole Fancher, um, who did well, um, in that role as well. It just really, it really helped that intensity. And then the, again, you know, you, you can always see a lot of films that are working with, um, you know, trying to do something pretty ambitious on a fairly low budget and you see people knock it out of the park, like with, uh, uh, was it Korath who directed Primer? Was that? Yeah um you know you you see filmmakers like that do do something really incredible um and conceptual on a very low budget and uh, sometimes you want to do something a little more visual but there's always that challenge to make it look right and i actually think as far as the 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 body horror you see in this the destruction of oneself like it was really chilling and they were able to implement it in a lot of uh a lot of uh, creative and and interesting ways. Um, And, uh, you know, there's a lot of vomit in it too. A lot of throwing up. And I
3: always
2: (laughs) kind of, it it worked well. I'm, I'm, again, I I think there was a a good, a good control over the pace of it um, overall in that way. Um, Even despite it sometimes seeming like it was, you know, they maybe tried to pack a little more than what was needed to get the point across. Um, Again, I, I'm, I'm really excited to, to, to see what uh you know they do the burns is in the future
0: yeah yeah absolutely um i have thoughts on all of those things daniel including the vomiting but uh i want <laughs> joe, joe get to catch this one actually in the you know the most yeah. traditional uh dead center atmosphere um of all of us it sounds like so mm-hmm. joe what was your experience with the film did you enjoy it did you like it uh do you, do you feel like seeing it in that outdoor setting added to it
3: Oh, I mean, the film's good on its own. I, I, I don't know that the setting really um, added or took away anything. It was just fun to kind of see it in that setting. Um, yeah, Daniel, you took a lot of my uh, talking points in terms of like really enjoying the body horror and the vomit. Uh, I'm a horror f- fan. Like I remember when they were, I can't remember, they showed a sizzle reel at, at some party, I that feels like so long ago now. I can't remember if Primer was on, and I was going to ask you, Caleb, if they had ever mentioned Primer as like a, an inspiration. But I, uh, yeah, I, f- I felt it a little bit. I think,
0: yeah. Um, so. I don't believe at least on air, they've ever said primer is a specific example. They've actually been asked about that a few times, if I recall correctly. Sorry. It's been a couple of years of interviews, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I believe they've been at, they've been said, this sounds like primer. And they're like, well, actually it wasn't inspired by primer. It was like one of those scenarios. But um, if I recall correctly, that said, I think just when you're looking at, you know, how to make a time travel film on a micro budget, I think mm-hmm. Shane Carruth really did like kind of wrote the playbook on that one. So, mm-hmm. um, I think it's kind of hard, hard to think about Shifter without thinking about you know at least from a filmmaking perspective without thinking about the the similar feat achieved with, with Primer.
3: Hmm. I, I mean, it's not a bad thing. I I love Primer. Uh, it's a. I think that they did it. They did something different. They did something fresh too. Like I really, uh, I really like what they did with the story in terms of. I don't want to say too many spoilers, but the way the storyline kind of folds back on itself is really interesting um yeah and I, I thought the effects looked great i really liked the way they showed the i guess the breakdown of the body in different at different points like the scene in the living room uh, is really really pretty i thought with the tv light shining through the body um so i think they really had those really kind of uh those like trailer moments where they're were really vivid imagery and really impactful. So yeah, it was an enjoyable film. I, I'm really happy to see them do this kind of movie locally because uh, I don't think a lot of people are making these kinds of movies in Oklahoma. So it's it's fun.
0: Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And and I to, just to echo that. And sorry, interject. They'll pass it to Christopher. But the thing is, I don't feel like the Jacob and Zach are making exactly the movies they want to make. I mean, I'm not saying they don't work on other things, but like the movies that you know, write or direct, I, it's really cool to see. I mean, they're putting in all the work having to like going from conception of the idea to writing the script and, but like then raising the money, um, mm-hmm. you know, they don't have, you know, a lot of wealthy investors knocking on their door, at least in Oklahoma for this sort of thing. So it's, it's super cool to see them staying committed to their vision and, and telling the stories they want to tell. And there's, there's really not a lot of films that I think are, stylized genre films like we see with shifter that kind of feel more tour driven um that are coming out of oklahoma so anyway i just wanted to to echo and that and say that um it's really cool and we're very fortunate to have a couple of filmmakers who are committed (laughs) enough to follow through with it so uh okay enough of me uh christopher what do you think of shifter
1: i thought it was great and um you know i i do i i do very much admire the ambition of the project um, and the fact that it was uh, pulled off so well. Um, so it's it's a combination of ambition and um, that follow through, you know, to to make it something really really interesting um, and really, uh, you know, I don't want to say that they're unprofessional. That's 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 not obviously the case, but you know, it looked like something that that came from you know like like hollywood or something you know it it very much looked like a very professional like you know not like low budget movie which which is what it is um so i think i think that that's really um really fantastic and uh definitely something that uh would love to see more of uh coming out of oklahoma um, I really admire the fact that, uh, and I, I've said this before, I don't, publicly or not, I don't remember, but it's an opinion I hold that um, like time travel movies work best when the the science of it really isn't explained that much. It's you know it's just explained enough that we can sort of buy that yeah yeah okay um, they came up with this right, um, and even if it's not time travel, like The Fly for instance, it never really fully explains how he cracked how to teleport he just sort of you know we we can accept based on who this character is uh and the isolated life that he lives that yeah he came up with this for sure like we we see the machine we see his theories and we hear some of his theories and it's believable and i think they really did a good job of uh, of echoing that um in in this film we don't we we see a little bit of her journals we see a little bit of how she's worked this out and we can tell that she's a brilliant Uh, person um, but lives a very who's dedicated herself to this who lives a very kind of isolated life and um, without without it ever really feeling like it's just a rip off of the fly um, it 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 very much works Um, so I really admired that and 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 overall too um, I just liked seeing a uh, you know bisexual character that was just, Mm -hmm. just bisexual and it wasn't it, it was important to her life, obviously, but just as, as good representation of like a queer character, I thought that was great to see too.
3: Yeah, that was nice.
0: Yeah, well, that um, uh, I think that'll about wrap our uh, you know talk on Shifter. Um, great film. Um, again, I think just echoing what Daniel said, clear growth from Jacob between election nostalgia and Shifter. So, I'm, firstly, I'm super excited to see, you know, what if anything happens with that project in terms of distribution. Cause I do think it's certainly have a quality um, where like Christopher was saying, it's certainly have that quality where it's like, no, this is a, this is a film that you could play on uh, an Amazon or Netflix that I think would actually, would actually resonate pretty well. Um, so I'm excited to see what, what happens there. Uh, fingers crossed. But um, the other thing is uh, I just wanted to note a couple of the money shots in here. I think, uh, I think Joe, you already mentioned more about the, the light shining through the TV. That was really great. Um, the theater shot was just—I mm-hmm. I, love it. like, That is like an iconic, like put it on a poster imagery, you know. And so again, Jacob's eye as a as a director of photography and as well as a director is just you know continues to be very strong. And I thought that whole sequence at the Tower Theater—it um, was kind of funny until it wasn't. <laughs> it was really right. funny until until it got horrifying. And I, I thought that was <laughs> in particular it was a just really well executed scenario
1: uh by, by the guess. way great cameo from uh mr lauren chapman uh, that's right that friend front of the
0: show yeah <laughs> <laughs> recurring recurring uh guest uh, co-host lauren chapman director of you people yeah that was a nice that's nice touch there um okay well let's uh so shifter guys check it out um i don't think it's it's not been picked up for distribution um I don't believe it's been picked up for distribution yet. So, uh, but anyway, keep your ears open for more information on that. And I'm sure once there, if or when there is information to share on that, it'll be available right over at cinematropolis.com with another audio diary. So uh, stay tuned there, and you can find links to all of our talks with Jacob and Zach on Shifter in the in the links in the show notes. Uh, let's move on to another film, though. Uh, another film that I think is um, was really exciting to see at the film, uh, festival this year was Love and Fury. Now, this is like a, a documentary about indigenous artists. Uh, and, Joe, you, you uh, did, wrote a reaction piece to to this film. Could you talk about, talk about this a little bit more?
3: Yeah, uh, it's Sterling Harjo, who's a, a very well-known director, both um, feature and documentary. Um, basically, what he did was uh, follow a bunch of different artists, from around the world, around the U.S., uh, indigenous artists as they work on painting, dancing, music. Um, it was just a, a film that showcased how diverse art within indigenous communities is. It's not just one thing; it is it's all these different things. It's activism. It's writing. It's artwork. It's you know music, dance, um, and it's just it was just a really I think effective and tender portrait of all these different uh, individuals. I, w- I personally was really happy to see um, Penny Pitchlin in there. I went to undergrad with her and uh, I'm really happy for her success. Uh, so yeah, it was just it was just really interesting. I think it, it, it's just a, an important viewpoint, especially right now. So it was really, really strong work.
0: There really isn't uh, a ton of – I think this is shifting a little bit, but there really isn't a ton of stories out there either produced by or about indigenous people from that perspective so um you know to echo that i think this is a especially exciting documentary to take a look at and look at how they're they're putting art into the world and and kind of giving them a platform to share their stories so i thought it was really cool um but uh christopher uh, i think you you caught this one as well
1: i did yeah and um uh, basically, the the this echoing what, what you guys have already said, um, really important to see the diversity among among you know indigenous peoples of the various tribes, and that the art that they make is not limited to like the southwest kind of art. And they they talk a lot about like the southwest art movement that was big in the eighties and nineties, um, and how a lot of ways that was very much sort of conceived of by white people um and sort of pigeonholing uh indigenous artists native artists um into a specific uh, approach you know and we're not going you know this this sense that we're not going to accept you if you're making art that looks anything else like this you know um so it was it was really uh, I, I again very important i think to see these 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 different voices and these different perspectives on what art is and, and their approach to art. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, dis- I discovered some great music uh, from, from it, uh, the, the band um, Black Belt Eagle Scout. I'm like a huge fan of now. I'd never heard of them before, <laughs> um, but I, I, I was blown away. Um, I also had no idea there was such a huge um, uh, noise music scene in Tulsa, but uh, apparently there is. Um, and a lot of, a lot of, uh, native people's involved with that. So that's really cool. But, but yeah, overall, and, and the overall style of the film, just the way it, it, it's telling a narrative, but it's sort of moving back and forth between these different voices and it, it feels, it, it, it's, it, it, it's sort of, sort of hard to put your finger on the way it feels, it feels very lyrical in a lot of, in a lot of ways it feels, um, not not meandering, it, it doesn't meander, but there's a there's a looseness to it, I guess. I, I don't know, maybe, maybe somebody else has sort of picked up on, on what I'm talking about that I'm having trouble communicating. Um,
3: yeah, I mean, it, it, it moves back and forth. And I, I know in the Q&A, it's mentioned specifically because Sterling didn't put any... Um, he didn't superimpose anybody's names unless they're musicians who don't speak. So he doesn't really like help you that much as a viewer you just are kind of thrown into it you have to follow along you're just there as a as an observer so it that i think that's kind of adding to what you're 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 speaking to
1: yeah it gives it an intimacy Mm -hmm. too you know you're, you're yeah i mean you get the sense that he knows a lot of these these people um already um and so it, it does it's just it's sort of like getting a seat at the table to sort of just be among these people and and learn about them and have you know a conversation with them almost so it, it, very very personal very very intimate feel to the dog I,
0: I think yeah this is definitely um one that would play really well i think even even on hbo maybe um to yeah, a certain extent. Absolutely. Like I, I i think it's of that quality i think the the story it's telling him would be certainly of interest to enough people. And I, yeah. I'd love to get that story out. And um, I did uh, Joe want to circle back with you on this though. Uh, so you said you watched the Q and a like, mm-hmm. was there any notable like takeaways or insights you got from the Q and a that you, you could share today?
3: I mean, there are things that I wanted. I'm trying to talk to Sterling. So hopefully I'll be able to ask a little bit uh, more in depth, but I know that he mentioned like one of the inspirations for this being that his, Daughter's going off to arts school, so I think, I think that's a really interesting perspective to start from. Where it's like his daughter's going out in the world, and he's almost—I don't know if this is accurate—but almost saying like, "Well, world, if you're going to meet my daughter, then you need to be more familiar with where is she coming from." So I think that's kind of an interesting place to start. Yeah, it was it was a long Q and A, and it was a conversation. Uh, that felt very friendly Um, I think it was Sarah Thompson in that Q&A yeah it was just it was a really long conversation about art and his work and I'm excited to see more from him for for sure
0: very cool well uh yeah let's uh we'll stay tuned for that uh Love and Fury I'd be interested to see what happens with that particular project and uh also Stone Harjo keep watching his stuff it's um he's seems to be kind of a growing he, voice in that uh in the, the the works of like indigenous uh filmmakers so i'm very excited to see what he does next
1: he also got to direct a an episode of one of my favorite tv shows the magicians um mm-hmm. which is now which is now over unfortunately it, it, it's last season just aired but uh, he he directed one of the the episodes in this last season so just a, a shout out to sterling too for like you know awesome that show's great and it's really cool that you directed an episode. So. Um,
0: all right. Well, thank you for sharing on that, everybody. Uh, keep your eyes open there. So this is already going much longer than I anticipated. So I'll try to keep this next section. Uh, we'll kind of we'll kind of do a round robin pretty quickly here. Um, other noteworthy features or documentaries that were from outside of Oklahoma. Um, so, uh, Christopher, you wrote a, a write-up on a film that caught my interest in particular, uh, Breaking Fast. Could you tell yeah. us a little bit about that?
1: uh again a a, just just a wonderful wonderfully charming movie um i and i said this in the review um but it's just it is just a sweet nice like very engaging story and it in it has it, it it delves with like the conflict it never really gets dark i guess is what i'm trying to say even though some of the the conflict that arises between the characters um is a bit dark um, but, but I mean, essentially it's, it's sort of like a romantic drama, comedy, dramedy, if you will. Um, and it just, it, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's just, it, you feel you, you get the warm and fuzzies watching this film. Um, but, but anyway, the, the plot, uh, involves a, um, a Muslim man, uh, living in West Hollywood. He's a doctor. Uh, he's, he's openly gay and, that's that's sort of the crux and you know some of the other characters talk about this is like is you know is it weird to be an openly gay muslim man like don't isn't that a problem with your religion and uh you know it's it's a point of learning where it's like you know there's nothing really in in the quran that uh, that abolishes homosexuality like it's just you know there there are um different sects within uh with within I- I islam that um have have sort of become bigoted in that way and that's also addressed in the film uh in very powerful ways um in ways that you wouldn't expect to you know it's it's not a situation where the film is pulling the rug out from under you and you know now we're watching a different film it just sort of it very much comes up organically these conversations about faith and sexuality and you know even even outside faith, just what um, where what your past does to you, how how you react your past and your family, and um, you know, in in, in it, not not really to give it away any spoilers, it, it has a happy ending. Um, but um, but but yeah, just these these really profound conversations within this just very sweet love story. Um, so I really liked it. Uh, I really hope to see it you know, get, get some distribution, get, get a wider release somehow. Um, you know, again, I, I, I keep, I keep saying Netflix, like that's the only platform that's out there, but I know it's one of the most popular, but you know, again, I could easily see this popping up on, you know, like a Netflix original film or something like that. Um, same. i mean
0: if netflix can spare marty 200 million dollars to de-age some guys sure they can spare like i don't even know like what a million dollars on or, or, or five hundred thousand dollars on some of these movies you know so. yeah
1: absolutely yeah um so i don't know if anyone else was able to catch it but uh i, I it, it, once we, hopefully when it when it comes around again when it's when it's somewhere out there for available to viewing uh definitely check it out
0: All right. Very cool. Uh, so that is breaking fast. Keep your eyes open on that piece. Right. So yeah, we're going to keep this round robbing, uh, just kind of moving on to to the next film. And, uh, another film, uh, Joe, that you saw was called test pattern. Could you tell us a little bit more about that?
3: Yeah. Um, it was a drama about, um, it's not an easy one, but it's about uh, a woman who is sexually assaulted. And then the next day her boyfriend is driving her around trying to get, um, Get her a rape kit. Essentially, is the movie. Um, it was gorgeous. It looked beautiful. The actors were all really, really strong. Um, and I think the director, she's a writer director, Shatara Michelle Ford, is one to watch.
0: Very cool. Very cool. So that's called Test Pattern. Uh, Daniel, I think we're gonna we're gonna move here over into the documentaries here for a moment. Uh, so you saw a documentary called Dilemma of Desire. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah, an incredible just eye-opening film about something that's, it's been, you know, it's, it's for, I think, most critical thinkers, it's, it's pretty obvious. Um, but it, it's not something that people are forced to reconcile with very often. Um, but it's a, it's a, uh, documentary from Maria Finitzo. I, I do not know if she's done anything previously, but, but it largely follows the, uh, the, the, I guess, the lack of concern or the kind of the male centric, um, you know, society that we live in that's very, very also penis centric as opposed to, uh, you know, clitoris centric or um, it it basically looks at how pretty much every piece of our society down to education and of course health and then broader into advertising um, lacks a fundamental understanding of both not only women's health but women's pleasure as well um and 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 how it kind of it moves so well and and i won't um you know strain into too much detail because there is just so much um ground it covers in a very short amount of time um but still does so very excellently um but but it kind of starts off looking at how um like t- textbooks even biology textbooks um for years and years and years and even now and those that are continuing to be published and will be published have a lopsided view of um you know human anatomy specifically human like sexual anatomy so you know you you'll <laughs> you'll see like three different textbooks with eight pages of diagrams of penises dissected and and you know just Described in like painstaking detail, and then hardly anything about, um, you know, a, a woman's reproductive organs, and it's so jarring how that leads into, of course, you know, if this is kind of the focus society takes on, um, you know, on this subject and on women, how that has gone to you know utter suppression of of any kind of talk about you know, sexual, you know, discussions, especially those that, that would involve a woman. I think, you know, very overtly we have plenty of, you know, we see very, a lot of like erectile dysfunction advertisements. So we see a lot of, um, you know, things that focus on, you know, men's pleasure, um, and a very, very heterosexual male pleasure. Um, whereas like even down to the idea of what, you know, a, a, a clitor- the clitoris literally is as an organ. Um, you know, it's it's never been, um, and, and Sophia Wallace is kind of the subject, this this artist who developed the 100 natural uh, laws of clitorisy, which is the uh, kind of a, the truths, I would say, 100 truths that she, I, I can't remember where it's installed right now, but it is a big giant fixture. I think, I don't know if it's installed currently still, but it was a giant fixture that, elaborated on on a lot of these really not only the the truths and the um necessity of of women and their pleasure but also the um the fallacies that that it's built up even down to like what people think the like clitoris looks like um and part of it is is you know so so a lot of her imagery and a lot of the things she's made is like making sure that that the organ in its entirety is you know actually seen and and visible um so people kind of under you know understand the 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 length of um and you know i guess the extent of 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 how important this is about you know with regard to like sexual equality and and not just for um you know straight um women either but but definitely many many queer folk and Uh, I don't know. It's so it's hard to, it's almost overwhelming to try and like cover everything. Um, But, but it was excellently very, very well made perspectives. What I do appreciate about the film is it doesn't just because it obviously does, you know, it takes a a, um, largely feminist angle uh, probably goes without saying, but um, it doesn't just focus on white feminism, which is kind of a, you know, can sometimes come off as a bit um, problematic. Definitely. Um, highlighting a lot of different voices, a lot of different backgrounds, a cultural, um, there's a segment that's almost exclusively about a woman's experience, um, being raised in Saudi Arabia that, um, that led to her kind of her, her, some, almost her liberation when she started to kind of actually critically think about how, what is expected of her to as a woman in society and how can she, she break that mold. And again, just, just an incredible documentary. Like, I, I don't know what it's, I think it already has a little quite a bit of momentum from what I can just read up on it, you know, outside of watching the film itself, but definitely something that needs to be distributed and definitely something that's, I think is, is, is very necessary. It gave me the same feelings of when I watched, uh, bell hooks, uh, killing Us softly that, that short, um, I think it's a three-part series that came out, I want to say in the nineties about sexuality and advertising. And, and, you know, bell hooks is famous for her work on the white male patriarchy and the, the actually illuminating, um, the, the, the fallacies and the gross inequality we have in life. And so I, I, this film does a lot of the same, but also does a lot of things differently that I, I never even considered. So again, very, very important documentary.
0: Yeah, very cool. So that's the the Dilemma of Desire, and you have an in-depth write-up on the website there as well. So check that out, Um I'm going to give a shout-out to Parkland Rising. So this is a, a documentary about the the lives of the students in the shooting, in the 2018 shooting at Marjorie uh, Douglas uh, High so. Uh, it was a very powerful documentary. I actually found it to be very optimistic at the end of the day, even though it's covering, you know, what it's a pretty heavy topic, you know, uh, guns uh, and gun rights in America and just kind of what is that doing to us as a, what is our lack of action doing to us as a culture? What is it doing to the mentality of of youth who are growing up in this culture where they clearly see a problem that is not being identified, um, and just also, or sorry, uh, sorry, a, a clear problem that has been identified that is not changing uh, repeatedly. And, and, and so I just said it was a nice touch because you're really following the perspectives of those teenagers, uh, largely, or either the teenagers or the victim, families of the victims um, who, whose lives were lost at um, the, in the 2018 shooting. Uh, so I had a nice uh, 15 or so minute conversation with the director, Cheryl Horner mcdonough and, um, I, you know, it was nice to hear her kind of talk about how she put together the documentary. Um, documentaries are always a, a big undertaking. So kind of getting her take on exactly, okay, this thing happened. Obviously, it's a national tragedy. Like how fast were you able to move on it and fundraise and, and uh, all those aspects. And also just kind of get her her takeaways from the experience as well as kind of what she hopes the audience takes away um, from the, the documentary. So, again, that's Parkland Rising. Um, if you are at all interested in learning more about um, you know what have the 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 you know the the high schoolers who are impacted by that? What have their lives been like, and how have they become activists? And in a lot of ways, a voice of activism for teenagers and and you know uh, young twenty somethings in the United States. I think this is a really powerful and inspirational documentary, and uh, certainly provides me at least a, a little inkling of hope that that maybe maybe. Certain things will change in the the, the future, but uh, we'll see. It's it's, it's an interesting time to be alive. Uh, all right. So on that note, um, Christopher, we're going to take it back to you here. Uh, you saw a horror film called Get Away because it's it's low caps Get Away, so it's Get Away is how I read that in my head. So tell tell us a little bit more about that.
1: I imagine that title is because there are several uh, films and upcoming projects uh, called "Getaway," so um, this one has to differentiate with the "away" part. Um, but you definitely do want to get get away um, from 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 the masked killer uh, in this film, so uh, it's also appropriate. But yeah, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's a slasher film. Um, it's a fairly well done one um i i I don't know that it's a memorable uh film per se but uh it it i I think it does what it what it what it set out to do which is to make a uh you know a uh popcorn slasher movie um yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) and that is get away uh not to be confused not to be confused with the, I don't remember what year it came out, but not to be confused with the Ethan Hawke, Selena Gomez getaway where they're in a car and it was notoriously rated like either a 0% or 1% on Rotten Tomatoes yeah. or something. Uh,
1: would there's you both, say it's better?
0: Is it better than that movie? If, I don't if you've even seen Well, saw I've, it. Never,
1: I've never seen that movie. Um, there's also The Getaway, um, which is, uh, there There were two different film versions and it's based on a novel by uh, Oklahoma's own Jim Thompson Uh so that, that's that's a really good uh, novel and, and pair of films. The, the most recent one was in the 90s with Alec Baldwin and, and Kim Basinger back when they were uh, a couple. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so, so, the, so Get Away, Get away. Um,
0: is, is, uh, is, a fine, is a fine movie, it sounds like. Um, let's keep on moving though, Christopher. I think you had one more I wanted to ask you about. And this was a film that I think uh, Dead Center was really excited to bring. Bring this year, and it was Billy. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about Billy? Uh, B-
1: Billy, Billy is basically, uh, you know, so it's 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 an important thing to watch, but it's it's heavy duty, um, you know. She, B- Billy, had a very hard life. Uh, this is a person, Billy Holiday, the 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 jazz singer, uh, blues singer from. Uh, I, I think she was working from about the mid nineteen thirties to up until her death in. Um, I'm, forget, I'm forgetting the year that that she died. Um, she died very young. She it was, she was only like 45 or something like that. Um, and uh, but but yeah, she she had a rough life. Um, so it's it, it's kind of hard to watch. Um, but but very but very engaging and very eye opening. And I think you know a lot a lot of topics that we're talking about in the news right now are are, are covered. Um, really kind of you know, hammering in this idea that, you know, what, what has happened before will happen again. Um, and, uh, you know, we're talking about police profiling, police brutality, um, you know, racial profiling, racism, sexism, um, everything, everything that's still at the forefront of, of our conversations, um, for better and worse right now, uh, worse being that we're just still having to talk about this stuff and that, you know, we're still having to fight for, for, um, for equality um but 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 yeah it it was produced by the bbc i believe and i think that it's actually going to be on pbs uh later this year um so you will get to catch it then um if you didn't get to see it at dead center this year um and i would highly recommend it it's it's a very well-made documentary
0: Fantastic. PBS documentaries never disappoint. So that's good to hear. Um, The last film I want to talk about just briefly before we, we move on to kind of our last piece here. And that's the, the shorts is uh, actually a short it's called black title here. Uh, Now this is a uh, short film um, made by uh, the writer director, Sev Demi. We had him on a short interview on the cinematic schematic uh, earlier in the festival. And more or less the premise is, this is a, PA, a, a production assistant living in Los Angeles, uh, who is overqual greatly overqualified for, for what he's doing. And, uh, I think race plays, plays a big role in that, but it's more about like, it's less about that, at least on the surface and more about like, what is he doing with his time? So, so basically production assistants, at least in LA uh, are working six days a week and their seventh day is their day off. So um, more like the, the, the film is about what he does. This main character does on his day off and it's got a lot of Atlanta vibes to it. I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with the the show Atlanta from FX um, terrific show. It's got a lot of vibes um, from Atlanta in it. Cause it is, a, it's a comedy at the end of the day. I think they're, they're, they're touching on a number of uh, issues and, and ideas related to race in the entertainment industry. But uh, I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's still having a lot of fun while also having, you know, enough teeth there to really kind of send a, send a good message. So uh, what's most interesting about black title here is that it is actually, he he really produced it as a pilot for a TV show. So it's actually the length of like a half an hour long TV show. I think around like 22 to 25 minutes, somewhere in there. Uh, And with the goal of this being picked up as a television show. So check it out uh it it definitely feels like a a a good tv pilot and that if i would never see another episode it would totally work out but they also plant a lot of seeds for potential more stories with that character so uh again black title here check it out we have an interview with the the writer director sev demi on the uh cinematic schematic i'll have that linked in the show notes uh but on the note of shorts uh kind of let's let's dive into the Oki shorts now this is actually going to be uh the area that i i at least every year i'm constantly saying every year i'm like man these are getting really good and i mean i'm not saying to say the past years are bad there never are every year i consistently feel like they're getting better and better uh and the thing is, you know this really is an opportunity for a lot of the the talent in oklahoma to to flex their muscles that you know raise some money but they don't have to raise enough money for a feature link feature or or a full link feature excuse me um so it's you know they're able to get creative the ideas are pretty uh, usually relatively simple, but really they're able to bring in either good performers or or um, bring in some really clever writing. So the Oki Shorts block has, uh, again, historically at least as long as I've been going to Dead Center since 2014, has always been a really fun block to attend and and see exactly what's being what's coming out here. Now uh, they broke the this the Oki Shorts into two blocks this year, uh, Volume One, which was a little more fa- family friendly, and Volume Two that tended to be. I wouldn't say like not family friendly, but the topics are a little heavier, a little more adults. Um, there's a couple in there that feel like kind of like midnight shorts, like the films that you the weird kind of proof of concepts you'd see like at a midnight screening at a, at a film festival. Um, so, Daniel, if you just give us kind of your general overview. And I think I think everyone on the on the podcast today has actually seen at least a few of these. So if you could just give us a quick overview of maybe a couple of these and we'll I think I've following that if everyone wants to chime in with what their favorites were. Yeah. And I'll, I'll go, um,
2: I'll mention a few, uh, highlights. First of all, I do agree as far as the actual quality, um, and also diversity of the, the short films themselves was, was, was great and well appreciated. There were still like <laughs> some familiar threads. I don't know if by coincidence or, or by design, uh, that you see throughout the film, um, some of the films, but, but again, nothing that takes away from them. Uh, just to to pick out a few that, that really stood out to me um across both both mixtapes. Um in volume one there is the uh, The Stories Within, which is uh from Zeb uh Gatru, I believe, or Gatru, um, profiling uh Denise Duong. She is a, an artist who's done many murals throughout Oklahoma City. Um very short, like a three minute uh it, it's her reading uh, a bit of prose, um, over like drone shots of her murals and, and while she's in the middle of, of actually, uh, creating them. And then also a few candid shots of her, you know, roaming around on her bike, a very, very nice profile of like, you know, Oklahoma city and even, you know, kind of midtown area, but also, uh, just, a. A great capture of of what oklahoma city is and what it's built from an artist who is very in tune um, i think with this community um also want to give a shout out to jacob ryan snuvels uh 1717 or 1717 primrose excuse me that's got a little bit of stranger things monster house vibes a couple of kids uh accidentally fly a drone i guess to 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 jump off of uh, uh the stories within they, they fly a drone inadvertently into a creepy neighbor's um house and uh, one of them is forced to to go retrieve it inside. Again, very, very reminiscent of Stranger Things, Goonies kind of esque. Um, and you, you kind of anticipate the the you know what's going to happen in the turn, but it still doesn't make it any less enjoyable. Um a, a film that seems to like I, I again, I don't when Chris was mentioning he doesn't want to imply that any you know Oklahoma filmmaker is inherently unprofessional and what they're making, but it did feel like a film that probably exceeded, you know, in terms of of the means it had, it, it put something out there that was of a quality that I think exceeds whatever its budget likely was. Could be wrong, but again, it it did seem very interesting in that way. Um, and then I also want to mention just briefly Ella Jane's Code Red, um, a film that, that really reflects, a short film that reflects on uh, the impact and the trauma of um, Oklahoma's uh, exceptionally high incarceration rate, especially, you know, our incarceration of women, um, and, and how that, that can go to impact people, of course, far beyond the, the bars of, of, you know, the, the, the prison itself. Um, and again, really, really well made. I wouldn't be surprised if this one showed up somewhere on PBS or or became a talking point. Um, and a bit of a profile about this systemic problem that Oklahoma has. And then finally in the volume one mixtape, uh, Brian Laws lost Kings, which is about a, a young boy kind of living in destitution with his brother. Who's forced to find food throughout Oklahoma city. And he takes a bike ride through one of the historical districts. Um, and, and uh, again, a recurring theme in the short films I noticed uh, uh, breaking into places. Um, that see and <laughs> that seems to be uh um, something that cop- popped up a few times in some of these films. But uh, he he's looking for food, and he takes a moment to linger into a really nice historic house. And then the family who lives there returns. Um, and it's kind of just a high-octane, you know, him trying to get out with minimal dialogue. Probably w- one of my favorites of that volume one block. the r- Just a good, the contrast, because Oklahoma City itself is built in kind of a, Mix match way where you have really really nice neighborhoods and then you have neighborhoods that have been neglected a little bit unfortunately and and it's like it's it's like especially in the historic district in central Oklahoma City it's just like very quickly changes from one state to the other and so to have like you know ki- you know a couple kids starving to death on a street over from where you have somebody with this like massive house and like three suvs it's it it really captured a lot in a very short amount of time about oklahoma city itself and i think kind of the epitome of what you want to see if you're if you're going to be a film that's going to be about oklahoma it's one of those aspects that that is is really epitomizes i think what what's to be expected and a good example of um you know a short film that you might you might catch here in these blocks and then just to again go over the mixtape volume two very quickly which is uh caleb mentioned it is a little more, um, less family friendly. You know, there's a few, there's a few more, uh, you know, F bombs and, uh, <laughs> a, a bit more violence, um, in those, but again, still not, not to say that that dilutes from them at all. Um, Zachary Burns, uh, home sweet home, uh, was really great. A lot of fun, just a short little kind of funny, quirky horror piece, uh, starring, uh, shifters, Ashley Medanis. I know I mentioned, um mentioned them earlier but but just to see them again here and to be the star of this short film really really uh really enjoyable definitely something to to look out I'm sure um people will be able to catch it another one um I'd like to mention is Charles Elmore's the chest I know Caleb uh conducted an interview with the director I believe um that's on the Cinematropolis right now um that everyone should listen to but again just a nice very short witty probably some of the best dialogue of the um of all of the short films Oki okay short films i've seen um from this year's selection um and kind of has this bit of a like modern fable to it um two leads that are incredible uh, jessica being portrayed by danielle uh evan ploger i believe ploger and then um her her jackass of a boss uh played by dylan baker who's just this like he kind of i don't know how to how to describe him best but you've seen this character and you'll when you see it you'll know this just never shuts up always pompous always trying to break you down um but never seeing their own you know their their you know the 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 clout they've kind of tried to create for themselves just blinds them to so many just obvious shortcomings they have and uh you kind of see a a combination of comeuppets and vengeance and turns and twists that again very impressed to see this in a short film i think it has the legs to become maybe a you know could be adapted into something longer if if the director felt the the need to i think the cast was there um as far as strength um so I, i definitely am excited to see more from charles elmore um and then just two more i wanted to mention uh brandon uh Jerome Jones' uh, uh, Justin, which is a, a film that takes place in Tulsa. It's very relevant, I think, especially today as we're recording this. Um, it's a film about a, a young Black man who dies uh, ultimately at the hands of police um, while he's unarmed. And it's, it is difficult to watch. It's very well woven with actual police footage and actual commentary. Um, and then again, just to kind of a, a, a very very precise dramatic recount also features a cameo of of our own Laron chapman um that is is kind of takes place in the 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 really the shadow of the Tulsa race massacre, and that imagery is always evident and again i now, if any is a time to watch something like this um so i I will say as far as what what I feel might be the most important of the shorts that if if you had to choose one to just see i, I would you know, likely insists that you catch this one, even if it, um, you know, it's a very necessary discomfort, uh, that you feel through something like this. Um, and again, proposes a lot of questions, um, in, in a very good way that goes long beyond it's, you know, the, the 10 minutes at last. And, uh, finally, just to, to, um, I wasn't going to mention this one, but I think Caleb with, with what you mentioned about, uh, Parkland rising, I think it's very important to also pair that, with um uh, mckinley Lair's uh you know the drill which is a short documentary just about um something i never experienced um, and i think most of us might be a little um a little too old to have to have, uh, go through it uh pretty regularly but um the arm shooter drills they now have it, it at a lot of schools um and so it, it it basically goes in the day of a and it follows two different ideas one a guy who's very concerned with like making sure kids know how to respond to them, but then also (laughs) like, we'll take a day out of school. And I think it was, I can't remember where, what elementary school slash high school that they, they film a lot of, um, they, they got a lot of their footage from, but, um, it, it, it's basically taking a whole day to make sure kids are, can respond to an active shooter drill, but then it takes a, a very important turn because I think, um, often we forget when we subject children, you know, regardless of how old they are, to these active shooter drills um, and these responses, um, you forget that that's that that's a form of trauma. It's going to evoke trauma, even if they hopefully never have to endure a school shooting. There is a trauma that gets built from that, and so part of the the documentary, um, you hear the voice of a uh, a uh, a uh, child psychologist who is trying to look for something a little bit. <laughs> you know, more useful to address this because unfortunately a lot of the, the damages are already going to be done and, and it's going to take, you know, I think she estimates like 17 years is how long it takes to work back a lot of trauma that can be the result of, you know, again, not even necessarily experiencing a shooting, but having to go through the the rigmarole of the drills. And it doesn't, it's not like the the documentary is going to propose a very solid answer of, of what we should do um, entirely in this situation. Beyond the the you know the obvious of you know maybe a, a few less firearms in the world would would probably go a long way but it it again it, it gives you a couple things to wrestle with without framing anyone as utterly wrong um, in their response to to how to you know protect people from it but um, again a lot of really I, I mean I, I ended up listing more than I think I was anticipating and that's just because they were that strong. I I think consistently there were, you know, none of the short films themselves. I actually found myself like trying to tune out of um, which sometimes it it can be easy to do um, especially on a long day and a long film festival. Um, You can, you can sometimes, I think it can become easier to gloss over. Things start to run together, not the case here. And and maybe that has something to do with the virtual festival, but I really doubt it. I think it, it has more to do with just the, the increased quality. Of of entries.
0: Well, and um, I will I will say just you know if, if you've been to you know film festivals that play a lot of shorts blocks. I mean, I, Dan, I like how you're pointing out how they all feel pretty strong. Um, I mean, even great film festivals that have great shorts in them, inevitably, usually you find like one or two that stand out much you know higher than the rest. But whereas this case, it sounds like most of these all stand pretty strong on their own. So I think that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, Joe, uh, I think you caught the shorts blocks or at least some of the shorts. Could you tell us, just, um, give us a couple of your favorites and maybe a quick reason why?
3: Yeah, I really liked the chest too. I just thought it was, uh, well done and really happy to see that talent in Tulsa. I believe it was shot in. Um, so that was nice. Um, I also really liked guessing game. Uh, it's just a eight minute sort of, <laughs> I guess you'd call it horror. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that's just the kind of thing I like, I guess. Just like weird. I, I It's violent, but uh, treated as comedy, I guess. So that was one that I really liked. And then I also liked Home Sweet Home. So shout out to Zach Burns.
0: Hey, I gotta say, I'm not gonna say much more about Home Sweet Home, other than that. I really, also, really enjoyed it. It was a nice short. sweet... I feel like it's a YouTube piece of YouTube gold, something you can just like watch really fast, consume, and get like a strong impact. Uh, without spoiling it, I was pleasantly surprised by the twist at the end. So it was very nice and oh, very yeah. fun, <laughs> very clever little short film there. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, uh, Zach, if we haven't said your name enough, shout out, sir. <laughs> um, christopher did you have any uh, shorts in particular you wanted to, you want to give a shout out
1: the, the only three that i saw um were justin um home sweet home and um uh, lost kings and uh, all three of them were excellent um as daniel said um and uh, and you guys have echoed about home sweet home um but uh but yeah, I, I, I was I was particularly impressed with uh with Lost Kings as well. Um I I, I like I liked that it was all just sort of like facial reactions mostly, like very mm-hmm. very minimal dialogue. Um really and, and you know, again, we've I, we've all kind of said this here and there. I, I started the trend, but um, you know, the, the, the level of like professional quality that, that, and, you know, again, it's not to say that I, that, you know, in years past I've seen poor quality. Um, It's just that this year, particularly, there seemed to be just a very like large wealth of like very professional looking, like well-acted, well-written, you know, really solid qualities Um, Mm -hmm. and, and, and Lost Kings was definitely a standout for that.
0: Yeah, I, most definitely. I think the thing I like about this Oki Shorts block is there's a really good mix of films that are clearly about Oklahoma, which I think is always really great when they can do that. Or or at least with Oklahoma being a major backdrop, um, Justin, uh, Lost Kings being a couple of the, the no, most notable ones. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, we, we also get Home Sweet Home. That really could have been anywhere, you know, shot anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, you have uh, The Chest, which you know, theoretically takes place in any town, you know, or any city you want it to uh, in, in suburban America. So, uh, you know, I think, um, I think it was a really strong block this year. I did really like, uh, the, the level of, um, just production that went into, um, the chest, uh, by Charles Elmore. I thought it was a really strong showing and seeing that they were able to get talent, um, like, uh, Dylan Baker, uh, and his wife, both in, in that, Film and that short film was pretty awesome. Uh, and uh, but I do think again to echo what Daniel already said, I want to be dead horse. If you watch, were to watch, or uh, seek out one of these shorts, I think right now, especially, I think you look at Justin. I think you look at Justin because it's a really powerful story. There's a lot of talk, I think, just in the larger pop culture at this moment about really re either learning about for the first time or re-examining how we view the Tulsa race massacre, formerly known as the Tulsa race riots. Um, that is within it's also a very easy example to look at how that conversation is changing. And, um, we're also recording this on the day before a major rally in Tulsa that we're not going to talk about at all, but just know that this is, is very relevant and I think adds, um, a very relevant perspective about an issue that is long overdue to, um, be addressed um i think everywhere of course but i think especially you know as a how i hear in tulsa as well so uh check that out recommends uh justin uh, the chest uh and i did really really like uh also again a light, much lighter but i did really enjoy Joe, uh, jacob uh, ryan Snowball's 1717 primrose all great shorts uh Wow, guys, we have talked. Wow, this actually went much longer than I anticipated. So, thank you uh, so much for for staying on the on the uh, podcast today to to talk a little bit longer with the, uh with us about this these uh, dead center films. Uh, we're gonna go ahead and go down the line. I'll start with you, Joe. We're gonna we're gonna close the show. But if people want to keep up with you and more of your work online, where can they find you at?
3: They can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore lightly or on No Film School, and I write occasionally still for the Oklahoma Gazette. So.
0: Very cool. Check out Joe in those places. Uh, Christopher Schultz, where can people find you?
1: Uh, Twitter is a good place to, to start. And um, that's uh, Chris Schultz with an underscore at the end of it because there's a lot of Chris Schultz's out there, um, apparently. So, uh, yeah, C H uh, R I S S H U L T Z underscore. Um, and uh, I'm still doing a lot of uh, work with Lit Reactor and. Um, some various other places I'll, I'll pop up here and there. So stay tuned.
0: Very cool. Follow Christopher in those places and Daniel Bo Kemper, where can people find you online?
2: Yeah. Uh, occasionally when I remember to update it on Twitter at uh, Daniel, uh, at Daniel, excuse me, underscore uh, Bo Kemper. Um, you can also find my writing in world literature today. Of course, um, a lot of my work is at the Cinematropolis and then at uh com. i've been releasing uh i've re- bleh, released one piece of creative writing and another one um probably is the time this recording is going to be um be out as well um but yeah just there
0: check it out ladies and gentlemen uh daniel bowkemper been doing a lot of the creative writing lately so it's pretty exciting to see you get this published so congrats on that um yeah, so check out Daniel in those places. Um, lastly, you can find me um, on Twitter way more than I should be, at C Masters Talk. That's uh, letter C, Masters Talk. Um, you can find, of course, The Cinematropolis at facebook.com forward slash The Cinematropolis, on Twitter at The Cinematrop, or just on our website, cinematropolis.com. Lastly, Joe, Daniel, Christopher, thank you guys so much for for joining in uh, in this Dead Center coverage again this year. We had a we had a great time last year, and, and thank you for what you're doing for the Sun but also just for you know the, the Oklahoma Film scene at large, just by writing and covering all of these films and some of which that, that are new or fresh or don't get a lot of coverage. So really appreciate your time, um, your expertise, and and everything you guys have to offer the Sun Metropolis. So uh, all right, uh, everyone, stay safe, stay healthy. Please do be considerate with social distancing in, in mind as theaters begin to reopen i'm really excited even though i'm not sure i'm going to go back i'm just excited that that could happen but also please do be mindful of the other people in the theaters and in your life elsewhere, uh, when thinking about these um health measures you should be taking so all that said we're gonna we'll close out the show by saying go see some movies in a healthy safe fashion for all